to another episode of talking upstream once again we are some nobodies my name is zach and that's dylan on yeah honestly i don't think i'm ever going to get the virtual stuff down it, it doesn't matter okay that's dylan that's dylan on that side over there on my other side uh and what talking upstream is if for some reason you don't know uh what we try to do is talk ourselves up to a streaming service by pitching crazy ideas to people that have made it way bigger than we have <laughs> and that have wrote more amazing stuff than we do um and really, most of it is just uh, Dylan and I chatting and trying to figure out a better way to write stories, a more creative way to uh, create content. That's what we are. We're just content creators and uh, media makers. We have a movie coming out soon called Give Me Back, which is in post-production. I'm very happy about that. Mm -hmm. We have a new project coming out very soon called Create Your Own Pod Venture, which uh, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, before uh, we do anything else, Dylan, my very best friend, how are you, sir? I'm okay. I'm okay, Zach. How are you? I, I'm great. I'm great. Yeah, yeah I, I got my wallet stolen in a King Supers yesterday, yeah. uh, but I'm great. Or the next part of the course at uh, King Supers. <laughs> yeah, cla classic King Supers. <laughs> uh, anyway, so before, you know, it doesn't matter. I want to get to our guest. I'm very excited about our guest this week. I had like four things I want to talk to you about, and I just got to skip all past that. So, Mr. Dylan, pretty please introduce our guest of the week. Yeah, so this week we're going to be joined by Mr. Timothy Dowling. He is a screenwriter and an actor with a few high-profile projects under his belt, and I'm going to let him talk about himself right now. Hello, Mr. Dowling. How are you today? Hey, guys. I'm good. How are you? Very well. Doing yeah. very well. Th yeah, once again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we were looking over your IMDb page, and it is pretty impressive. Uh, it's not many times we talked to some people that were like, oh, we've actually seen that. And, uh, oh, I've seen all of that, which is... <laughs> That's cool. Thanks. Yeah, very cool. But yeah. uh, of, the th of the things that you've done, what are you most proud of? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, I, um, I'm proud that, like, I love movies. I've always loved movies. And, like, I... You know, it's, it's cool when, you know, you work, you know, I've been lucky I've been working as a writer for a long time and you bust your ass on these scripts and like, you know, you try to make them as good as possible. And, you know, I always come from a place of like, okay, what do I, what do I want to see? Like, like what, what would I be excited to go see with my friends on a Friday night? And so, you know, some movies get made and some don't. And so it's like, if they actually, if they actually happen and you can go to a theater and see your own movie with people and people are enjoying it. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And like, I'm proud of that. I mean, it, I like them all in, in different, in different ways. And, you know, it's like part of the process is like, you know, your, your script is your script. And then, you know, it's like things change and it's like because of budget and stars and other things and things get cut and, and other stuff. And so um, I, I'm lucky to say it's like, I actually like all my movies, um, which is cool. Um, you know, there's, there's some that I like the script better and there's some stuff like in the movies did better. We're asking which, which project I'm most proud of. Was that? Yeah. Your, yeah. I kind of, I kind of like just go with it. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Um, mm -hmm. It was with Adam Sandler and Jennifer and, and Nicole Kidman, and it was a fun one. I don't know if you guys want to hear the story about how this came about. Um, yeah, of course. 
they so Happy Madison, Adam Sanders company. Um, there is an exec there that um, named Heather Perry that she kept she kept kind of like reaching out and trying to find stuff. And like Adam, Adam, you know, is a very loyal, loyal guy, and he's you know works with a lot of the same people a lot of times. And I think Heather was trying to bring other people into the company that you know it's like maybe he hadn't worked with before. And so I don't know what she read of mine, but she liked some of my scripts, and so she you know sent me a couple things and then. She sent me the script called um, Holiday in Hawaii. And I read it and it was like, okay, it's about the guy that wears the, you know, fake wedding ring to, so we can get out of relationships. And he was really unlikable to me. And like, they're, you know, it's like he's dating this girl who's just good looking and stupid. And in the script I read, they, they've been together for like nine months and she finally breaks up to him because she, she can't marry it, date a married guy. And I'm like, okay, well now I don't like you because you've been dating a married guy for nine months. And then the the Jennifer Aniston character was kind of a small character. And then later on, like out of the blue, they end up together. And so she called me up and she's like, well, what do you think? And I was like, oh, I don't like it. And she's like, why? And I sort of explained a lot of the reasons. I was like, I don't think anybody's likable. I don't think it's that funny. There aren't a lot of set pieces. Like I'm not invested in anything. And she goes, oh, we agree. You should take a meeting. I was like, Heather, I don't want to do this. And she goes, no, 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 just come and take a meeting. And I'd done my first project, my first job, this thing called Outsourced um, that, that still hasn't gotten made, but it led to a lot of my other work. And that was with Sony and this was with Sony. So anyway, long story short, um, basically, usually when you go up for these jobs, like you're pitching, I guess kind of what you guys are gonna do later in the show, you're pitching all your ideas of like, okay, if you hire me, this is what I will do with this. Like I'm, this is the big, these are all the big funny scenes and like these are what the characters are and all that stuff. On this one, I just didn't, I basically just told them what I didn't like about it and said like, look, I would make the characters m more likable and better. And I would, we really, if he's going to go to all these crazy lengths to, you know, it's like, and if you guys haven't seen the movie, it's basically a guy, it's, it's a farce. I mean, he, he wears a fake wedding ring to stay out of relationships and then he meets someone that he really likes, but she doesn't want to date him because he's married supposedly. So he gets his assistant to pretend to be his ex-wife and it just keeps kind of steamrolling and he has to pretend he's, has a father to have kids and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, um, I basically told him what was wrong with it rather than what I was going to do with it beyond I'm going to make it better. And usually that doesn't work. They're like, great. Other people have actual ideas, but they, they kind of offered me this movie and it was around the time that the economy totally tanked. Um, well, the last time before this time in 2008, I guess. Um, and I was sort of like, okay, there's a lot of people out of work. Who am I to turn down a job? And so I kind of took this job and when I got around to writing it, like I said, like normally I have a really strong plan of like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. These are my big set pieces. And I was like, shit, I don't know what I'm going to do because I didn't have to pitch all that. But it was kind of cool on this one because I, at that time Sandler wasn't attached to it. He had passed on the previous version and it was just kind of like, no one was really, there wasn't a lot of pressure on it, I guess. And they kind of just let me do what I wanted. Um, and then, so I sort of came from a place of like, okay, I don't like this. What's the version of this movie that I would like? And it's like, what what do I think is really funny? And um, and they were cool. They were pretty hands off from like just just get it done. Um, and so it just kind of freed me up to write something that I thought was really funny and, and great. And I used to do a lot of improv as an actor. And so I thought, you know, one of the big first rules of improv is never say to no to information. And so I was like, oh, that's kind of fun for the movie. If you have characters that are throwing stuff out there and now they have to commit to it because this is their backstory that they've created. And so Sandler says, you know, it's like his best friend's name is Dolph Lundgren. And so now the guy needs to be, you know, Swedish or German and have an accent the whole movie. And the little girl wants to do an accent. 
Um, and I did get pushed back on this, but I won this argument. And then she's like, can I do an accent? And he's like, no. And then she has a British accent. So now she has to have an accent the whole movie. And I remember when the producers were ready, he's like, wait a minute, the little girl's going to speak in a British accent the whole movie? And I was like, no, 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 trust me. It's going to be funny. And she was great. Her name was Bailey Madison. Anyway, long story short, um, it was one of those ones where I turned in the script and uh, I had a meeting, like, you know, they're like, Adam's not going to do it. And I think around that time, he kind of wanted to do a romantic comedy. And so they gave him the script. He really liked it. He asked to meet with me and I was like, oh, cool. He's going to start it. And then the whole time we were meeting, he was giving me notes and he kept referring to the character as you, Grant. And, um, and I was like, oh, so do you want to act in this? And he's like, he's like, I don't know. He's like, I really like it, but, um, you know, it's like, I kind of feel like I did the fake dad thing with big daddy and I did the fake married thing with Chuck and Larry. So it's like, I don't know, but it's like, I love it. And it's like, I'm excited to produce it. And then he, you know, he gave me some notes and, and other stuff, but he really liked the characters. That was the thing he latched onto it. He's like, look, the characters are really fun. He's like, you wrote some funny shit for these kids and like all that stuff. He's like, the second half of the movie gets too crazy. And it's funny because I thought that's the stuff he would like more, but what he really liked was the character stuff and the kind of the dynamics. And so he's like, tone that stuff down. And, and so in the second draft, you know, I kind of leaned in more to the relationship with him and Jennifer Aniston. And my big part of my pitch initially was like, look, she should be a co-lead of the movie. And her name had come up, you know, a couple of times. And, but she passed on a previous version. And I'm sort of like, I think people forget that she's really funny, you know, because like at the time she'd made, you know, some kind of mediocre romantic comedies. I don't mean back on her. She's fantastic. Yeah. And, but I, but I think it was like, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, I don't think people think of her as funny. Or, or as funny as she is, um, I guess, at the time. And then so I tried to write a really funny part that gave her stuff to do. So anyway, long story short, um, I turned the draft, and I've never had this happen before. Uh, two weeks later, um, Heather, I, she knows I'm always up at night and, you know, writing. And so she, like, wrote me at, like, midnight. She goes, hey, you're around. Can I call you? I'm like, why are you calling me at midnight? And then so she's like, she's like, all right, don't tell anybody. Um, Jen Aston wanted to do the movie. Her and Sandler have been wanting to do a movie since together since they were they were um, struggling actors together, so they'd known each other for like thirty years. Mm -hmm. um, she convinced Adam to do the movie. Um, it, it starts production in three months. I was like, what? So anyway, um, I guess I guess if, if I had to pick, I'd say that's that's kind of my favorite one. Like it's, um, I think it's I think it's a lot of fun, and it, it's made me happy. And it, it, like it did well in theaters, but um, I used to always get role models. So that was the big one that people would bring up, and I and I love that movie too. But over the years, just go with it's kind of like become the big one that people always mention to me. And, and like, it makes me happy that people still watch that movie. And um, yeah. So anyway, 20 minutes yeah. later, to answer your question. No, that's, that's a great story. What when we started looking up the people that we really wanted to, you know, interview, we actually looked up some of our favorite movies or the movies that we thought the writing was so cool or the story was really cool. And so a couple of things that popped out to us about you, uh, you, you did say role models, which obviously is like one of my favorite movies of all time. And you had the story for that. Yeah, I, I adore that movie. I, think, I, and, and I have Dylan, a fun relationship with that movie because yeah, Dylan, I, I'm a yeah, professional LARPer during the Oh, series. really? I, I work at a LARPing camp and I write for like the I write the quest stuff for it. Oh, cool! So anytime I mention that, the first thing people generally say is like, "Oh, like role models," and I'm like, "Yeah, kind of." <laughs> yeah, uh, that's cool. I, I've never yeah. actually done it, but I think I would enjoy it. Um, yeah, it's a good time. Got my yeah, sorter it, under somewhere. It is. It is interesting to think that you created something that is almost the go-to of something. You know, when we talk about LARPing, people always say role models first. It is yeah. so cool. Uh, so that's great. 
Do you want? Do you want to know how that ended up in the movie? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so when I was in when I was my a senior in high school, they they got rid of the drama program, and I, I like I loved doing plays in high school and it was big. You know, it's like uh, doing a lot of theater. So they didn't. They weren't. It was our senior year, and they were going to have a play. And you know, Robin Hood, the Kevin Costner movie, had come out like the year before, and so everybody was talking about Robin Hood. And I, and I found a play version that was actually a really good script by this guy named Larry um, Blamier, who I think was like Massachusetts playwright, and. Uh, we just went away for a second. Um, uh, sorry, I don't know why my thing's freaking out, but uh, hold on one second. Damn, Chrome. Uh, well, anyway, you're in smaller boxes, but um, so I directed it and I played I played Robin Hood, and we were trying to figure out how to do the fight scenes. And this guy that played um, Little John, was this really big guy, he was kind of quiet. His name was Alex. He just like in one of the rehearsals, he's like, Tim, you know, my friends and I do this thing in the woods. I was like, well, what thing? He's like, well, it's like Dungeons and Dragons, but it's real. And I'm like, you fight dragons in the woods? Well, there's not real dragons. And But he explained things like we dress up and we make these weapons. And it's basically exactly what you see in the movie. I'm sure what you did is get these pipes and, you know, wrap it in foam. And then you wrap it in duct tape so it looks like metal. And, and you know, was explained that to me. And so he built the weapons for, for our show. And we did this thing. And I always thought it was a funny, fun idea. And I'd never actually seen anyone do it. And I, I wasn't sure if anyone ever did this again. But when I came on Role Models, it was originally a drama script um, that Luke Greenfield did, The Girl Next Door, um, which I was a big fan of. He read my script outsourced that I mentioned before. And the original the original script uh, was basically a drama about like a alcoholic lawyer who's an asshole who gets arrested for drunk driving and gets um, forced into the Big Brother program. And he has a mentor and inner city kid. And so the script, they weren't able to cast it. And then Luke read my script, which was a buddy comedy. He's like, oh, that's what this movie should be. It should be a buddy comedy about two guys forced into this program. So I took that idea and got hired. And so one of my things was like, okay, they should be the worst big brothers in the world, but the kids should also be the worst kids. <laughs> and I just had this image in my head of like this really awkward nerdy kid that showed up in a cape. And so the first draft of the script, and it's like, I pitched this to Luke and he's like, I, I don't believe that's real. That's not a real thing. And I was like, no, it's a, I don't know. It's like this guy and who did it. Oh my God. It's amazing. <laughs> um, anyway. I did it in high school in the woods. And so we started doing research and I saw that this, I don't know if they were the first people that did it or what, but um, this is not something I stayed in, I have really seen since high school. But um, anyway, we realized like, oh, this is like a huge thing and it's kind of like a fun world. And then every draft of the script, it just got bigger and bigger and it became like, you know, such a huge part of it. And, and, uh, you know, David Wayne, who, you know, ended up directing the movie, I think does, did such a fantastic job. And it's what, what I tried to do in the script. And, um, I think he did really well is like, you're making fun of it, but you're also celebrating it. It's like, like, it's not like, Oh, these guys are so stupid. It's like, Oh, this is kind of a cool thing, but we can laugh at it too. And I think David did a really good job of, you know, it's like he, and I wrote it that way too. Is like he played that final set piece like an action scene, um, which I think is really fun. So anyway, it's, yeah, uh, it's far more accurate than anyone who's involved in it will admit. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, really great movie. Um, but getting back to your writing stuff, the first the first credit you have on IMDb as far as writing goes is a is a Star Wars thing, which is called uh, George Lucas and Love. Uh, yes. What what where did that come from? Did you have you guys seen it? No. I, I found out about it today, as a matter of fact. It was, um, God, it's, it's amazing how fast time goes by. Uh, we did it in 1999, um, right around the time of Phantom Menace. And around that time, um, 
there was kind of this thing in Hollywood of like people making these short spoofs that sort of, it was like a viral video before viral videos. Mm -hmm. They just kind of got passed around town and like VHS tapes and they were like dubbed to like a different generation. And like South Park came from that. Like um, those guys did this short called the spirit of Christmas and um, about Jesus and Santa Claus fighting each other on Christmas. And then that, that basically became South Park. So a friend of mine from college, this guy, Joe Nussbaum, um, he, uh, we did a short film together in college um, that I started in and, and he wrote and directed. And so I was bugging him. I was like, you should do one of these like kind of short spoofs. And he's like, we'll come up with an idea. And so we, we were talking about it for a while. And then I started really screening of Shakespeare in Love and I really liked it. And it was before it came out and was a hit and before it won the Oscar. And um, uh, I was like, this is a fun template. We should do like this with someone in Hollywood. And so we talked about different people were like, you know, at the time, Joe Esterhaus was like a really big screenwriter. He was like, what about Joe Esterhaus in love? Which I'm sure would have been funny, but like, no, no, none of us really wanted to make that. And then, um, I don't know, one day, uh, Joe or I were like texting and was like, hey, what about George Lucas in love? I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So it's basically a short of um, like Shakespeare in love of him at USC in the 60s and his writer's block. And you see the pieces of Star Wars all around him and he meets a girl um, who uh, has the hair buns and mm -hmm. she's in student rebellion and they fall in love and it turns out to be a sister. So it's like, it's like an eight minute short and uh, uh, Joe did a great job with it. It's um, it's, it's really fun. And at the time it, you know, I was just involved with it, just kind of trying to help a friend out. Um, but it, the short got a ton of attention and like it, won all these film festivals and like it, it, um, I don't know, we were like interviewed by like all these news things and it just became this really kind of like big thing at the time. And it led to, you know, like Joe got signed by, you know, like every agency in town was trying to sign him. He was getting offered movies. And, um, so I think around that time, like that, the short didn't benefit me per se, but people were like, Oh, do you want to write too? And so I started thinking about it more. And then about a year later, um, I wrote, my first, I'd written some other stuff, but my first like real script that like went out into the world and, and it didn't sell, but I got, people seemed to like the writing and I, I got an agent and a manager and started taking meetings and kind of started that process. So, but if you're a Star Wars fan, I think, I think it's on iTunes now. I don't know. Sure. Uh, it's, it's like, it's like eight minutes long, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah, I am a Star Wars fan, and I will buy that right as soon as I click uh, leave studio. <laughs> um, now, another one of your projects that you worked on when, uh, like, I, I talked uh, I talked to my wife that I was going to interview you, and she quickly just, like, Googled you, and she goes, oh, it's the guy that wrote Pixels. Oh, cool. like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's cool, right yeah. on. Uh, so, now, Pixels, do you want to talk about how that story, like, I guess that screenplay kind of came about a little bit? Sure. Um, so I had done, I, as I was telling you before, so it's good to say, so I didn't just go with it for, um, for Sony and they were all really happy with the script and happy with the movie. And, you know, I, um, like I dealt with Adam, but not that much on it. Um, cause it's kind of like once, you know, they took my script, they're off to the races and I went by set a couple times. Um, and then I did a movie, I think another movie of mine the next year called this means war came out. And then when I get a text from Sandler and one of the things I think people don't know about him, but I love is that I love movies and I see everything. And so does he, like he goes to the movies and literally sees every movie. And so he just, he texts me out of the blue and he's like, um, he's like, Hey buddy, I just saw your movie. I loved it. And was just like, text me for like 45 minutes about his favorite lines and scenes. And I was like, that's really cool. And so I got to know him a little bit more. And um, so they had, uh, they had a script that another writer wrote. Um, it was based on this. Uh, it was based on a short film that basically like eighties, um, you know, arcade games uh, attack in the world. And um, 
So uh, anyway, they had a script and I don't think they felt like it fully worked or they kind of cracked it. And Seth Gordon, who directed this, um, he's done a ton of movies since since then, but he directed this great documentary called, um, I think, Fifth Floor Quarters. Um, it was basically about 80s, like a Donkey Kong competition. And they brought Seth on to um, to direct it. And Freeman was like, okay, Seth knows this world. And it's like, you know, because it was a slightly different movie for Adam in the sense that like, okay, this was wanted to be like a Ghostbusters and like have more action than his, you know, his stuff usually does. Mm-hmm. So um, Seth had been a fan of some of my stuff and I loved his doc and some of his things. And so we always talked about working together. And so he called me up one day and said, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to send you this short film to watch. I think it's a really fun idea. Um, and I'm sending you this script. He's like, just take a look at it. But like, we kind of want to start fresh and, and do something different. Um, but let me know if you're interested. And, um, you know, Ghostbusters is one of my favorite movies. And I think like anything else, you're always looking at templates of like, oh, how can I do, how can I do Ghostbusters? Like, how can I do something like that? And for me, it was like, oh, this is a way to do Ghostbusters in a different way. Um, so, you know, I had some ideas and I sort of, you know, talked to them and like, look, I write mostly comedies, but like my favorite things are big summer movies. Like the stuff I grew up on, you know, it's Star Wars and Raiders mm-hmm. and, you know, E.T. and Goonies and Back to the Future. And so it's like, okay, to me it was like, all right, this is a way to do a big Amblin movie in, in kind of a fun way. So anyway, long story short, um, I got the job and started working on it. And, uh, you know, one of Adam's uh, old, the guy used to run his company, Jack Gerputo, who I loved and I, I worked with on Just Go With It. Um, he, uh, he now worked really hard on the script together and stuff. And we got to a place of, we were really happy with it. And we, uh, Seth at some point, I think just timing wise kind of fell off the project. In the back of my head, I always was like, I want Chris Columbus to direct this. And, you know, it's like, as a kid, you know, it's like Goonies, it's like, okay, it's like, I think he was one of the, him and Lawrence Kasdan, like the first writers that I was kind of aware of. And I was like, oh, wow, Goonies is amazing. Wait a minute, he also wrote Gremlins and Young Sherlock Holmes. And they started directing, he did Adventures of Babysitting, which is amazing. Home Alone and Mrs. Doubtfire and Harry, the first two Harry Potters, which I think are underrated. And um, so anyway, I, I always wanted to work with Chris and I met him once, but I didn't really know him. And so um, we, we, we worked really hard on the script and then uh, Jack, I said to Jack at one point, I was like, okay, when we're done with this is like, you're taking, we're, we're getting drunk. You're taking me to dinner. And so, so we went to, we went to dinner and it was this expensive place and Jack brought all these bottles of wine and so we're getting drunk. And it just so happened that day, which I had never had happen before, which I thought was kind of cool. And he's like, you know, I've made a bunch of movies and whatever. But um, Amy Pascal, who is the former head of Sony, um, she called me and she just said, she's like, hey, um, and I've never had a head, I've met heads at studio, but I've never had them. He just doesn't trickle down to you. Yeah. And she just said, it's like, hey, I just want you to know your script is fantastic. Like, I absolutely love this script. This is a really big movie. We're all excited about this. We're going to make it. And I just wanted to, you know, say like great work and really, and I was like, I thought that was super classy and just really nice. So anyway, that happened to be the day that Jack and I were going to dinner. So we're like, okay, this is pretty cool. It's like, we're getting a movie made. This is awesome. And he's like, Dowling, who should direct it? And I was like, I want Chris Columbus. And, um, and he's like, and I don't want to throw Jack on the bus, but he's like, who's that? And he's, <laughs> he always used to joke with me because he's a great producer. But he's like, I don't love movies the same way you love movies and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. And I'm like, I'm like, Jack. And I was like, he directed, you know, blah, blah, he Home Alone. And he's like, Home Alone's my favorite movie. Let's get Chris Columbus. <laughs> no, Jack's super smart and awesome. One of the smartest guys in the business. Well. So uh, he, I was like, well, I have his email. I was like, I could write him. He's, yeah. So 
we're, we're drinking. And I'm like, I'm going to write Chris. And, um, oh, no, I think he mentioned, he said something like, oh, you know what? Actually, someone mentioned him. I think he liked the script. Like, his agent passed along or something. I'm like, oh, awesome. So we're at dinner, and I'm, like, writing Chris. And I was like, I don't know if you remember me. We met a couple years ago. I heard you like the script. And uh, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I'd be so psyched. I think you'd be amazing. And he wrote me back, and he's like, this is one of the best scripts I've read in, you know, a number of years. It's so original. It's so hard to do something original these days. Um, and I was like, awesome. So anyway, Chris came on the project, and it was it was just a uh, – it was a great experience all around. Like, you know, he's one of my heroes. He's, I don't know if you guys have ever read anything about him or known, but he's one of the nicest guys in the world. And so, and I, and I think we also, we have very similar sensibilities. Um, you know, I think the one thing we differ is that I would push him to be a little edgier sometimes. And, you know, he'd kind of pull it back a little bit, but, um, but anyway, he's just a fantastic guy. And, and, and I think he did such a great job with the movie. I think the, you know, the, the Pac-Man scene was everybody's favorite scene in the scripts and Chris just made it, awesome um you know and i think the the big differences between the movie and i really like the movie and i'm really proud of the movie and my script was that my script was much bigger um and i think that was always a thing of like people like when they're when you're green lighting a movie they look at comparisons and like okay well adam's movies have only done this so this is the budget that we think is reasonable for this type of movie but i'm like it's not this isn't grown-ups you know like this is you know this is wanting to be Independence Day or, you know, it's like a funnier Independence Day, but we were, we were sort of going for, you know, that of like, okay, this is a big summer movie. And at the time, a lot of those movies, like, you know, they're like two hours and 15 minutes long and blah, blah. So the script was longer and kind of bigger. Um, and I think that was, that was sort of the thing of like the budget just kept going down and kept getting cut. And so, you know, it's like, I'm very happy with the movie, but we had some fun stuff that, that didn't only um, end up on screen, but I'm glad you guys like it. I mean, we had, at the time, which was kind of a bummer for us, is that the the trailer came out and we we got like a ridiculous. We were like the highest watched trailer of all time at the time. At the time, mm -hmm. and that, by the way, that keeps changing. Yeah. But like, we had in the first twenty four hours, we had more views than like Star Wars at the time, which all blew us away. And people seemed really excited for the movie, and the movie was tracking really well. And Adam never gets good reviews when he does comedies. His his drum good Adams made you know some great movies and it's like you look back and it's like they hated Billy Madison they hated Wedding Singer maybe they liked it a little bit because it was a little different but for the most part all of his movies got really bad reviews but it didn't matter like people went anyway and I think this was kind of the time of Rotten Tomatoes and so we were like tracking really well but our reviews were just awful and they were just really nasty and it honestly kind of killed the movie a little bit and it's like. We we did we did well around the world in Slip and we made two hundred fifty million dollars. But I think everyone was hoping, expecting it to be much bigger and this to be you know a franchise. And so that was kind of a bummer because I think we felt like you know people that saw the movie seemed to really like it. Um, but then it and I always say like I don't care about reviews except if it stops people from going to see the movie. Mm -hmm. And like conversely, I think role models we got amazing reviews and I think that really helped us because we were kind of under the radar. And then when you know all the reviews were so good, I think people sought it out that maybe weren't aware of it before. But a pixel is kind of the flip side happened. But what makes me happy is a couple years later, I think a lot of people have found it. And the number of people I run into that seem to like like that movie makes me really happy. And what I thought was kind of cool is one of the things I heard from a lot of my friends was that their kids loved it. And I was like, oh, it's so interesting. It's like, do they even know who Pac-Man is? And they're like, no. It's like they didn't before, but now they do. But I was like, oh, that's so funny that they love it. And they're like, well, but they, they understand, they know what video games are. And so mm -hmm. even though they don't necessarily know 
Pac-Man and Donkey Kong and all the little things. It's like they understand what you're doing. And it's like, that's really cool. And by the way, the number of kids that have come up to me pitching a sequel where it's like, oh, but you got to do with modern games. And I'm like, mm -hmm. well, that's our plan. You know, it's like eventually we were going to, you know, I mean, we never really got that far. But, but I had ideas for what the sequel would be. But eventually we would have gotten there of like, okay, they have to, you know, sort of get into more modern games and kind of battle that stuff. So um, I will grab one thing to show you guys that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of space for doing uh, modern video game characters invade re Earth. I've seen a Minecraft guy do something. Uh, so this is the light oh. from the wow. Whoa. And when I was writing the scripts, all I kept thinking was like, okay, if this movie gets made, I want one of these. And uh, so the after after the shoot, I was kind of talking to one of the producers. I'm like, okay, is there any chance I could get one? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I don't know where they are. He's like, but there's some place. And then like nine months after the movie came out, I get a call one day. It's like, hey, are you home? And I was like, yeah. And so they delivered one day to my house, which was pretty cool. So, oh, God, yeah. so cool. On. yeah, you are literally living the dream that Dylan and I are trying to accomplish. That's so, so great. Yeah, Pixels, that was uh, interesting. I, I watch every movie the day it comes out. I go to the movies you know, right before COVID. Uh, Me too. I go I go to the movies on Thursday night and I watch the as many new things as I can. Then I go back Friday and take notes and everything. Um, I remember cool. seeing I remember seeing Pixels before a lot of the reviews come out, and I remember thinking, "This is a very original idea. This is such a cool, creative concept." And then my daughter, who I usually take to movies, she was like, "Can we go back and see it right away?" Like we actually went. Uh, she's twenty-two now. Um, oh, yeah, so we actually went back to back on the the Thursday opening night just because she wanted to see it again, and oh, yeah, and then we usually go on Tuesdays to go to the movies and get burritos, or whatever. And I remember her telling her friends that she was going to go see Pixels again, and her friends just were making fun of her, like, I heard that movie's really bad, and I'm like, no, oh, and I'm like yelling at these like teenage kids about how good <laughs> how good Pixels is. Uh, so yeah, I, I understand, and I and I really think that like you're right, the reviews people just read the reviews and uh, and accepted that instead of watching it. it it was it's a very entertaining cool concept yeah it's, it, you know it was one of those things and i feel like this kind of i've seen it happen to a couple movies the past couple of years is that we also because i think we thought word of mouth would be good but what happens is it creates a narrative and so it's mm -hmm. like okay it's like oh the movie's terrible and then we didn't do as well as we thought we were going to so then all the articles are about oh this movie's a disaster it didn't do as well as you thought like sandler and then you know it's like it I think people loved, they wanted to jump on that. Like they were looking for, it's like, oh, well, let's go after Sandler now. And so that became kind of the narrative of the movie. And then the second weekend, it's like, you know, we didn't, we didn't have like our numbers kept going down because I think it just sort of fed the sort of narrative that the movie didn't work. And it's interesting. We did do well internationally. And like Patrick John, um, who's a French filmmaker, he's the one that did the short film, um, which is really cool. If you, you yeah. check it online, he wrote me and he was over in France and he goes, you know what? He goes, we got really good reviews here because they don't have this intrinsic, I hate Adam Sandler, you know, type thing. And uh, so anyway, um, and then I'm glad you guys liked it. That's cool. And like, you know, look, movies are for longevity. It's like over time. And I'm, I'm always, I'm always fascinated by stuff that sticks around. Cause it's like the, the example I'd always use is like, you, you have stuff like, you know, the Flintstones was the number one movie that year. No one watches the Flintstones anymore. Movie wise. Um, you know, but then you have stuff like, you know, uh, Fight Club was such a big flop that they literally fired everybody at Fox. Like everyone lost their jobs. And I feel like six months later, everyone saw Fight Club and like Shawshank Redemption, you know, that was one under the radar, but like no one saw that in theaters. But then it's like, you know, 20 years later, it's like, it's considered one of the greatest movies of all time that like everybody's seen. And so, 
Um, I don't know. It's always interesting to me, like the ones that sort of stick around and it's like the people still watch. And I'm always curious. Like I love when back when we used to fly, when, when you're on an airplane, you know, walking up and down the aisles, I'm always curious what people are watching. Cause sometimes it's like the modern stuff, mm -hmm. but nowadays a lot of times they have older movies on there and it's like, okay, if you're scrolling through that stuff and you're seeking this out, like it's always, I don't know. It's always interesting to me. It's like, Oh, that's cool. Just to see what other people are liking and what they're enjoying. And, and Zach, I'm like you, it's like, we, uh, going to a movie on Friday night is my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. And uh, really excited to start getting back there this summer with like big movies and stuff. But we used to, this was the one year with Oscar stuff that like my wife and I had seen a lot of things because like we would go see it at the movies. And so there's a handful of things we saw at the drive-in. But besides that, it was like, oh yeah, we just, we're never sitting around like, oh, let me watch blank Oscar thing on the yeah. TV home. It's like, yeah. we probably would have gone to the movies and seen it. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about when I, I you know, found out you were going to be on the show, and it's something that Dylan and I got very small scale firsthand experiences, is writing a script and then having somebody else have a vision for what those words mean, and then having those two people touch. So yeah. I, I'm curious if you've ever watched a movie that you wrote that you didn't really have a lot of like uh, say in the production of it. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, for the most part, it's interesting, like, as a writer, and so, sometimes you're on set, but it's very rare, and those are usually, you know, it's like a lot, you know, if you're writer, director, or, or someone, usually it's like, when you're writing the script, everyone's on top of you, because they want the script, and driving you crazy, and like, whatever, because you're the most important person in the process, because they can't do anything until they have that draft that they want to do with. Conversely, once you do your job, the hopefully to get that place where you get the star and the director and the studio to want to make it, you are the least important person because they're they're off doing their job. And so, you know, it's kind of like, okay, they now take your baby and go off and, you know, try to do it. And, you know, I always try to write my scripts and like make it, I'm very detailed and like some, and you hear some stuff and then I guess, you know, for certain franchises, like, if you have a director on board or if you have like a team where it's like they know they're someone's going to do the action scene, you don't have to write every sort of beat with it. Some people do, some people don't. But I've heard of scripts of like car chase and like, you know, in the movie, it's like 10 minutes, but like they didn't like I write very specifically, you know, beat by beat. It doesn't always end up that way. But I try to get you to like when you're reading it, I want you to be picturing this movie and envisioning it. And so hopefully that helps some of my vision coming across like when they're making it. Um, and like I said, too, a lot of times it's like, it, it really is just a question of budget of like, you know, things of like, okay, for the most part, I, I, like I said, I've been very happy with, with my movies. Um, you know, and the biggest, I think the biggest change for most of them is just the, they're smaller in scale, you know, and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, just go with, it's probably the closest. There wasn't a lot that got cut out of that, um, you know, from say the screen, but, but yeah, it's, you, you hope that someone sort of matches your vision, you know, and, and does does stuff well. And, you know, like I said, I really enjoy working with Chris because I think I was a fan of his and I think the type of what he does is, is similar to like what my tastes are. And so that was cool, you know, to, to, to kind of see. Oh. Um, so I'd yet to knock on wood and, and hopefully it won't happen. It's like, I think what would be devastating and it does happen sometimes where you have your name on a movie and then everything got completely changed. And maybe the movie doesn't turn out well, and then your name's on it, and everyone always blames the writer. And they're like, well, that was a shitty script. But what I always say to people is like, no one sets out to make a bad movie. It's really hard to get a movie made. So no one's going to take a terrible script and say like, hey, let's go make that movie. 
it's somewhere, somewhere along the way, there was a really good script. And that's how it got everyone involved to want to make it. And then there's a million different reasons why it doesn't work. It's like, maybe it's not the right cast. Or like I said, maybe they cut it down too much. Or maybe you have a director that's not, you know, um, whatever. Or the studio gets too involved and you're trying to please everybody and end up pleasing no one. And so, but somewhere along the way, there was something good enough to get them to say, like, I want to, I want to go do this. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. It's hard. You have to, you have to let it go. And like, I think the, the thing I was talking to someone about this the other day is like, okay, when someone else comes on or if they bring on another writer or they start changing stuff, you're like, stop changing my thing and stop like cutting it. But then if the movie's going, like it takes a while to shoot the movie. It takes a while to edit the movie. Mm -hmm. so it's like by the time that it, I see it eventually and it, it comes out, I have some distance from it. And usually, usually the first time I see it, I'm sitting there like this. Cause you're like looking at all the things they changed or, or didn't do, you know, quite the same way. And I, I'm like this with any movie I'm invested in too. Like if I go see a Star Wars movie, I usually say like the first time I see it, I don't always love it because I'm processing. Because mm -hmm. you think it's going to be, and it's like, okay, I need to watch it again for what it is as opposed to what was in my head. And so I, I'm the same way with my movies. Like the first time I see it, I'm usually like, and then they're like, what do you think? I was like, it's okay. You know, and then I'll, you know, see it again. And usually by the time the movie comes out, like I've seen it a couple times or I've gone to the, you know, gone to the premiere. And like I said, they're usually... Ultimately, I was like, okay, I do. Then the second time, I'm like, oh, I'm looking at all the stuff that didn't change and all the cool stuff that I did that now on screen that I really like or this actor was amazing or all that kind of stuff. And so it's just, you know, it's a process. Yeah. And you know, I think ultimately that's why a lot of writers get into directing because you get tired of people changing your work. But just because you're directing, it doesn't necessarily mean you, you have a lot more say, but it's not like you have all the say. So yeah. unless you're Christopher Nolan. Or, yeah, there are a few yeah. of those. Yeah, uh, you, you talked a little bit about putting detail into your own scripts or just kind of not. Um, I was wondering if you could go a little more into your actual just writing process. Like when you sit down with an idea, how do you translate that idea into the scenes and the nitty gritty? Do you do, do you outline heavily? Do you sprint? Like what's your uh, what's your general process? Yeah, I mean. I mean, everyone's different. So, I mean, every project's different because some ideas, you know, come. Usually I start with like an Uber idea of like, um, okay, I want to make this type of movie. And then it's like, what's the story? Or a lot of, as we talked about today, all my movies that have gotten made, at some point they had, they bought a pitch or they had a script that they liked the core idea, but for various reasons, um, they don't like what they have. And so they're looking for someone to come on um, and what they call give them a movie. And so like most of my stuff have been like, this is the core idea and then everything else is new. Um, so it's like, okay, it's like, this is the idea of the movie. And then I you know, start thinking, sometimes you have an idea for a character first. I'm like, okay, this is who the lead is. Um, I'm very set piece oriented because I feel like what people remember from movies are characters, dialogue, and set pieces. People, I, I, for the most part, the plot's there as an excuse for the rest of the movie. And it's frustrating sometimes because a lot of times the notes you get are all plot based and structure based. Well, not structure as much, but like all the stuff that I'm like, most of this stuff, no one cares, and it's going to get cut out of the movie anyway. But in order to get the movie made, you have to have all this. Not saying you don't need a plot. You do. But I don't think that's what people take away and what they remember. They remember the, the sequences, and they remember the characters that you're invested in. They remember, like, lines of dialogue. So, yeah, it's just like – I always say it's like a puzzle, and, like, each one's different. So sometimes I have, like, an idea for, you know, a set piece right away. And, you know, Pixels is a good example. It's, like, one of my first things. Like, okay, if these, these things are attacking the world – um, how does that work? And we knew we wanted Pac-Man to be in there. 
And so, you know, Pac-Man's the good guy, but I'm like, all right, how do you do Pac-Man in real life? I'm like, oh, it's a monster movie. And it's like, and originally I think that sequence was set. It kept changing. I mean, God, I don't even remember where, where it is in the movie, but it kept changing where that was set. Originally mm -hmm. I set it in Japan and there was like a fun, you know, sort of lines of dialogue that's, that I was always like, oh, you open the trailer with like this Japanese like firefighter talking about it. Like it came at night. It was like, it was terrifying. It's, you know, it is, it's like, it's cold dead eyes and it's just eating everything in sight. And it was like, what did it look like? It was big and yellow and blah, blah. And then you go into <laughs> thing. But that was one of my first ideas. I'm like, oh, that's that's a set piece of like Pac-Man's the giant monster. And then then comparatively, our guys are in little mini Coopers that look like the ghosts and they have to play the game. Um, other times you're like, okay, I have a strong idea for like who this guy is and like role models, like the Sean William Scott part. Like we always wrote it for Sean. And I'm like, okay, I know who that guy is. Like it's Sean. It's, you know, it's like his character was Wheeler, but it's like, okay, he probably really shouldn't be around kids. And it's like, okay, you know, you kind of know who that is. Mm -hmm. And then for me, it's like, you know, filling out like, okay, filling it out in terms of, you know, other set pieces, like, okay, these are my big sequences. And then you start connecting the dots. I'm like, okay, I know these are the big scenes that I want in there. I know what the characters are. How do they go in order? And like, this leads to this, leads to this, and you're telling the story. And then obviously you think of your act breaks, like act one, act two, for your viewers, I seem to know, but first act is usually about 30 pages and kind of sets everything up. And at the end of the first act, it's like a strong, like, okay, we know what the rest of the movie is about. End of act one. End of act two is the low point of the movie where like everything's going poorly for, you know, everyone else. And I always say like Tootsie to me, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but like Tootsie to me is the greatest end of act two of all time. And it's long. And I don't know if you guys know, do you guys know Tootsie? Yeah, I know Tootsie. I can't remember the end of act two though. So basically what happens, and I might get the order wrong, but he, Basically, he he's in love, falling in love with Jessica Lange, mm -hmm. and then I think he like she's telling him that she's like, you know, been so happy with their friendship, but then feels so lonely because she wants something he can't have, and he tries to kiss her, and she freaks out because she's like, "I'm not a lesbian." He's like, "Oh no, if you could just see me under these clothes," and she's like, "No, no, no, no I'll take off." <laughs> so basically, she that relationship, she's like, "Okay, the only reason she likes being on the show is to be with Jessica Lange, but now Jessica Lange doesn't want." anything to do with her um, because she feels like she'd be leading her on. Then he finds out that they're going to renew his contract. So he's going to spend the rest of his life playing a woman, which he just did it for the money for a couple months. And then I think then Jessica Lange's like, my dad's in town and wants to see you. And she's like, Oh God. So then she shows up to meet Charles Durning and he proposes to her and gives her a ring. And she like freaks out and goes home. And then she goes home. And then the, um, the old kind of like, womanizing uh you know dumb star of the soap opera that was in love with dorothy shows up at his apartment and starts singing to her and has to invite him up and then he's like dorothy i must have you and like chases her around the apartment trying to kiss her and then bill murray comes home and is awkward he's like dorothy I, I didn't know i'm so sorry and then he leaves and then terry gar shows up and followed him and saw a woman going to the apartment so thinks that he's cheating on her so basically all of his relationships are in a bad place and he's stuck on the show. And it's like, boom, end of act two, like super low point. Um, sorry, there's a long tangent, but, um, but for you writers out there, that's a great one to sort of um, look at. But anyway, to, to answer your question, it's like, everyone's different. And so it's like all the puzzle pieces. And I guess for me, it's like, okay, I know what my main characters are. I know what the, the story is. I know what the relationship's like, okay, this is going to be the relationship we invest in. I know I have four or five set pieces where I'm like, okay, we have a movie. Like I know what those sequences, um, even if nothing, like if I write no funny dialogue and there's nothing else, 
I know these four or five sequences are going to be entertaining and there's going to be a movie there. And then I sort of dive into it. And sometimes it comes really, it comes faster. And there are other times where I'm like, I know this is a good idea, but it's like pulling teeth to figure out what the movie mm-hmm. Um, so it just kind of changes. And I always say early on when I'm figuring it out, like it's my wandering phase or like I'll run errands. And so while I'm like walking around the mall or in the shower or, you know, taking walks or doing whatever, I'm thinking about it in my head. I find watching movies is like, it's in my wife and I are different this way. She's also a writer. Um, I, I like to watch stuff that's in a similar genre and I find that inspiring. And it's usually movies I've seen a bunch of times. So I'm thinking about my movie in my head mm-hmm. and a lot of times you'll have great ideas when you're doing that. Um, and so, yeah, when I feel like, okay, I have enough and I'm ready. Um, then I start writing and until into your question, you know, it's like a lot of times too, it sounds good in a pitch, but then you got to figure out, Oh, how, what is this actual scene? Cause sometimes you're telling the story. I'm like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, okay, how do we get this across when I'm not just explaining this to you? So then you got to figure out what the actual like scenes are and, and sort of break it down. And it's just, it's all going from, small to bigger to bigger and it keeps expanding and then you figure out what the scenes are and they keep expanding. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I always outline, um, I don't like to give it to people cause I feel like it doesn't translate. Like I see it in my head, but I know how to write scripts. I don't write books. I don't write prose. And so the times when people have demanded to see an outline, which I hate and sometimes they do, it never translates. And I'm like, that's why I don't like you to, to read the outline. I will pitch it to you and then we can discuss it. But it's like, I don't like passing that along. You can read it in the script. Um, so yeah. Uh, here, quick question that I, I, I really just wanted to know, uh, as I was looking through your, you know, your writing credits, uh, I saw a movie that stuck out to me. Uh, this means war. Now, when writing that movie, I'm, I'm assuming that you have the characters and you maybe fan cast uh, your own characters. But when you get a movie that gets like really top tier actors, are you a little nervous that like it's not going to work out the right way? Or have you like, you know, that movie has Chris Pine and Tom Hardy and uh, Reese Witherspoon in it, which is yeah. an amazing cast. Yeah. Um, so that that movie, did you have people in mind or are those the people that you had in mind? Well, that one, that was interesting because it was a, it was a long process in that, um, the scripts, the script that I told you about, um, outsource, um, that was like my first thing for whatever reason, like people, it floated around town. Everyone seemed to read that script. And so at the time, Vince Vaughn and Wilson were attached to it and then they were shooting wedding crashers when they did it and they really liked working together. And then by the time the studio was ready to make it, like wedding crashers had hit $200 million and Vince in particular was offered every movie in Hollywood. And so he was like, look, I don't necessarily want to make another movie with Owen right now. It's like, like, I'm going to go off and do my own stuff. So then they dropped out of the movie, which sucked because I wrote it very specifically for them. And um, so Sony sent it to Will Smith, who they just done Hitch with. And I give him credit. Will read it right away because sometimes it's really hard to get, you know, actors get sent so many scripts and, and whatever. And Will passed on it because, I mean, it was written for Vince Vaughn um, very specifically. Um, but he really liked the script. And I think that was a buddy comedy. And he liked the dynamic of that. And so Fox had brought him on to develop This Means War. And This Means War had been around for about 10 years before I, I became involved. And so they sent me a script. And in the script I read, they were like architects. And they were blowing up each other's buildings in uh, San Francisco. And it made no sense. And much like Just Go With It, uh, uh, the main girl was like this just like dumb, dumb girl. And I'm like, why are they going to such lengths? And whatever. But I think what Will, what Will connected to, and I think the core idea when I connected to um, of it was two best friends fall in love with the same woman. 
And then what's more important, your best friend or the love of your life? And what happens if they come into conflict? And I'm like, okay, that's a good movie. Um, and so basically I got a call and the day were, oh, sorry, Will said to Fox, he's like, I just read the script. You should hire this guy to do this means war. And then, so that was one of the other few times in my life. I get a call one day saying like, Will Smith wants you to write the script. Uh, do you want to do it? Yes. Um, and then because of that, like, again, I didn't need to go in and pitch to get the job. I had the job. And then, so we, we had a couple of meetings and we were talking about different things. And then I threw out and was like, what if, um, uh, what if it, like James Bond and Indiana Jones were best friends and in between saving the world, uh, they fell in love with the same woman. And it was like, what does that mean? And Will really liked that. And then, so anyway, to, long story to answer your question, I wrote it for Will Smith because he was the one that hired me and he was attached to it. And then it was always a question of who the other guy was. And for a millisecond, there was talk of him and Tom Cruise because they wanted to work together. But uh, also, you know, it's like one guy does get the girl and the other doesn't. And I think that was like a thing. It was like, well, they both wanted to be the guy that got the girl. So um, anyway, uh, Mark Wahlberg really wanted to do it. And I think Will and Mark would have been really cool. Um, that would have been a fun pairing. And Will at the time had just done um, Pursuit of Happiness, in which he's fantastic. And, and he was kind of in that mode of like, hey, I, I, I don't want to be, I've done charming Cary Grant Will Smith. I want to play different characters I want to do. And so he was kind of in a dark phase and everyone was trying to convince him to do This Means War and he loved the script. Um, but then he ended up doing Seven Pounds instead. And so then it became like, well, who else? And it was one of those things for, um, because it, it really, that was always, I'd say my favorite script. Um, it was like every six months for years, I would get like an email, hey, what about Jim Carrey and, and uh, Will Ferrell? And I'm like, I love Jim Carrey and Will Ferrell, but it, it, you don't buy them spies. Like there's no reality to this movie. Um, and I, that's why I thought like Will was really fun because it's like, okay, one of the things that I liked about it too is like we're taking two guys out of a spy movie and putting them into a romantic comedy. Um, but you have to have the reality of like, that you buy these guys as spies and they're kind of badass. And then some of the other names that came out, they were like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. And the tricky thing with buddy movies that I found over the years with casting, and I've had this on a bunch of my stuff, is that you get the one guy, but then you gotta you gotta figure out the other guy. And a lot of times, like we would get one person, but then the other person's got to be right with that person. And so it's like you get this person to like it, but then not this person. And so so it's tricky. So anyway, long story short, at some point, I switched agencies and. Uh, uh, they, the head of that agency, um, rep Will Smith, um, this guy named Richard Lovett, and he always loved this script. And so when I went over there, you know, I was a new client and you're new someplace, they, you know, they're trying to like, what do you want me doing? And I'm like, I want to get my movies made. And they loved the script. And so, uh, my agent at the time, Dan Ravenow was really great of like, he was pushing Fox. He's like, when are you going to make this movie? I'm like, oh, we're going to. And he sent it to a couple other studios and they said, we love it. We want to make it. And that kind of forced Fox a little bit to say, he's like, either make it or let it go. And they're like, no, no, we want to make it. And they said, give us a list of actors that you would make this movie with and we'll try to get them. And I think, I'm sure there were more people, but what I was told, it was like Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston, and Bradley Cooper. And they were all at CAA. And I give them all credit. They all read the script and they all said, yes, I like this. I want to do it. And um, Jen Aniston, it was right around the time to just go with it. And they were, you know, both happened to be going at the same time. And I'd written This Means War like seven years before, or five years before, or whatever it was. And I just written Just Go With It, but they're both coming around the same time. So Jen was doing that movie, and Reese is probably more suited for it anyway. So um, then they had Bradley and Reese, and there was a lot of discussion. They were like, what about Seth Rogen? Or, you know, it's like, so who, who would be with Bradley? 
And, um, you know, Sam Worthington came up, you know, because he's just an avatar for Fox. And then they did, Reese brought on some writers and they did a draft that I never read. And I think it was more centric to her character. Mm-hmm. And then Bradley dropped out. Um, and then they had a bunch of other writers and they ultimately kind of went back to my script. And I'd, I, Chris Pine and I have some mutual friends. I was a huge fan of this. And so like when I heard they were talking to Chris, I was really excited. I was like, oh, Chris is perfect because he he's such a movie star and he's such a charming leading man and he'll be great. And then it was always, yeah, like who's the other guy? And there were different versions. And it was around, I think it was around time of Inception. And I think like t- people watched that movie and like, oh, that guy's really interesting. And Tom Hardy had been around for a long time. But he was just starting to sort of break out and pop. And so Tom got cast and I'm like, that's great because like you buy, I buy both of those guys as spies. Mm-hmm. I buy both of them as kind of badasses and they're very different. And it's interesting, like Chris, when they started shooting the first week, I um, I texted Chris, I'm like, how's it, how's it going? And he's like, he goes, it's, it's good. He goes, it's interesting because I, I feel like I'm in a romantic comedy and Tom feels like he just walked off the set of Black Hawk down and wants to kill everybody. So it's a different dynamic, you know, between us. <laughs> But I think it works in the movie, and I think Tom hasn't really done comedy again, but I think he's he's incredibly charming, and I think he's really good in the movie. Um, and I think, you know, for him, he's like, well, I'm not funny. That's not what he does if you look at his career. But I was like, you don't have to be funny. You're very charming, and, like, you make it work because you're playing this real. And the, it's interesting, the number of people, if you've seen the movie, resends up with Chris, which is the way it always was. But uh, I have a lot of women in my life that were like, oh, I wanted to end up with Tom Hardy. And it's like, well, that's good because that was the goal. It's like it's supposed to be invested in both of them and you're not supposed to know who she picks until the end. So um, anyway, I was very happy with that casting. But yes, when I was writing it, I, that's not who I was writing it for originally. Wow. Texting, yeah. texting Chris Pine, chatting with Will Smith. Mm-hmm. Ah, God, you just have the life. Uh, okay, I'm going to ask oh, you. Well, that's not nearly this exciting. Um, but yeah. Uh, hey, hey, I text Dylan. You text Will Smith. Uh, I text nobody except Zach. Yeah, and, and he doesn't Sometimes. text me either. Uh, okay, one more question before we get on to what sure. we do with the show, if that's okay. Um, yeah. When you started in movies, though, was it to act or was it to make movies? Because you happen to act in a movie that is my mom's favorite movie of all time. Really? What mm-hmm. is that? Wow. Be- Beautician and the Beast. Oh, nice. My mom loves that movie so much. I she, love that movie too. Like she <laughs> loves that movie. She has it on Blu-ray. She has it a VHS. I think she wow. has, uh, she's got a DVD. She loves uh, Timothy Dalton. She loves that movie. Um, oh, but cool. yeah, what, what was it that actually got you into Hollywood? Um, I was acting. So grew up, uh, growing up, like I did a lot of, I did a lot of theater in high school and I did a lot of improv. Um, I came to USC, the University of Southern California um, in LA and I was a theater major. Um, but I always loved movies and, and I, I took, you know, they have the best film school in the world. And so I took a lot of film classes and I took writing classes, but I was mainly focused on acting. Um, and then I got an agent from a showcase. I was actually, I was a, my summer job two years, I was a tour guide at Universal Studios Hollywood, you know, on the trams. And they did a, like, you know, a lot of people there are actors. And so they had a showcase, you know, for people. And so I got an agent from that. And so I auditioned a little bit in school and really, really wanted to get a job, you know, before I graduated. Cause I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I didn't book anything. And then uh, a month after graduation, I got an audition for beautician. And if you see the movie, uh, I'm, I'm a young rebel leader in Eastern Europe and Timothy Dalton's the, dictator of the country and I'm in love with his daughter. And 
So they actually talk about me way more than I'm in the movie, but it was a fun part. Like, you know, I get to give this big speech and we shot on the Paramount lot in Prague. It was awesome. It was an amazing experience. Um, and so, yeah, I got, I got cast in that and it was super fun. And like, I'm a huge James Bond fan. And, uh, so working with Timothy Dalton, who's one of the nicest guys in the world was, it was pretty cool. And like, I love, I think he's an underrated Bonds. Like I love License to Kill so much, which I blubberingly geeked out to him in the makeup chair one day. And, um, and he was really, he was really cool to me. It was my first movie and all these guys have done a ton of stuff. And, but yeah, it was a great experience. And, um, you know, the movie didn't end up doing well. Um, we actually came out opposite the Star Wars re-release. And the studio was like, no one's going to go see a 20-year-old movie. <laughs> it turned out everybody went to see that movie. Um, but uh, that's nice. Tell your mom I'm glad, I'm glad she liked it. I mean, I haven't seen it in years, but it, it pops up occasionally. Like, my nieces watched it a couple years ago. And, like, I, I think it's – if you like Fran Drescher, I think it's a really charming movie. It's in romantic comedy. I think Tim's really good in it and, and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's a solid rom-com, and they don't make those yeah. uh, as much as they should. No, they don't. They don't. Uh, Okay, so uh, we we took a lot of your time, and I'm very sorry about that. Uh, I can ask I can ask endless questions. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, you literally uh, are, are doing everything that I want to do, which is cool. But what we do on the show is that we're going to pitch two ideas to you, and then you are going to help us figure out which one we're going to do. Uh, okay. I used I used to just make Dylan do all of my ideas, and he got mad. So now I make people decide which one we do. Uh, okay, so uh, Dylan, why don't you go ahead? Since I think I won last week. <laughs> I think you did. Yeah. Um. So. I got, a, I got a good one. So, imagine a group of people wake up on a train, no memory of how they got there. There's an announcement that whoever occupies the front of the train in six hours is going to split among whoever's there a large sum of money, 10, 15, 20 million. They're told to look under the chairs and there's just a whole bunch of like swords and axes and stuff like that. They're told that every hour the last car on the train is going to be detached and explode. And then they're told to go. Uh, it's called Battle Train, and I have nothing beyond that pitch for you. I like it. I, I like it too. It's, <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, okay, so uh, what what I want to work on is I had this idea to do instead of a like a beast hunter, I wanted to do a beast savior story. So I had this idea of people camping. Um, one person is like sleepwalking and kind of ruffles a tent the other person while that person is sleepwalking they're having like a nightmare of this thing so they all sit up whatever and they think there's this beast outside bear comes or something like oh it's not a beast it's just a bear turns out there is a beast and as they're fighting this beast blah 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 uh there's a group of people that live in the woods that actually save this beast uh and i would like it to be set in i think like the appalachian mountains because uh those ginseng farmers those guys seem like crazy people to me so uh yeah i wanted to create a story about uh guys that save natural beasts instead of hunting them so they would so Okay, so does does the beast kill the campers, or you think that he's going to, and then the people like they come and save him? Yeah, save the the, pe- the people that are camping think the beast is bad, but the beast is just there, like hunting that bear or whatever. It just happens to be by the campground, yeah. so they're fighting the beast because it is a crazy beast. But now these other little uh, fake ninja guys are saving the beast. Okay, I like I like the idea. I, I, they they always. What they always say, like when you pitch stuff, because I, I think that's a good, it's a fun, we haven't seen that before. It's a fun idea. The question a lot of these things is like, what what's the movie? So like, what's like what's what's the act two of that movie? Like, that's a fun concept. But then what are they doing? Because there's a lot of, um, 
Wedding Crashers to me is a great example of this. Um, in that, like, you know, look, the studios don't buy as much original stuff as they used to, but there used to be these ideas that would float around forever because they would sell because they have that, like, a really high concept one sentence. But then you're always like, well, what's the movie? And so, like, Wedding Crashers, two guys that crash weddings meet women. Perfect. But I think it sat in development for a long time because you're like, okay, you can't, that's 30 minutes. It's like, you can't just have them crashing weddings the whole movie. So, like, what's the movie? And then, so eventually they figure out, it's like, okay, he actually likes her. They get invited back to the thing. And so, it's them having to keep up the facade and, and whatever the whole time. So I guess my question for you would be, you got to figure out, it's a good idea. Um, you got to figure out like, okay, so what do these guys do, you know, for most of act two? Cause like you can set up and that, that thing, is there the big magical one that's like, no one's ever been able to find or whatever, then the movie's about them trying to find, you know, Bigfoot or whatever. But, and then, then it's like, okay, well, what's, what are the scenes and set pieces and the thrill or whatever along the way? Um, so that's what I'd say you need to figure out on that. But I like the idea. Um, if So I have to choose which idea we're going to develop? Yep. Okay. Uh, I'd say I, just because I, I see the movie more, Dylan, I, I think that's a really cool idea. Like I like yeah. Did you guys cool. – um, it's different. Did you guys see Train to Busan? Yeah. Yeah. It's like I, I, think, I think it's a fun concept. There is – there is this movie that just shot with Brad Pitt and one of the uh, Deadpool. No, sorry, not uh, maybe the director of Deadpool and like John Wick. I think it's called Bullet Train. I don't know what it is, but it's about uh, a bunch of assassins on a train. It doesn't mean you can't necessarily do that one. Be, um, but I think that's I think that's a cool I think that's a cool idea. I like it, and it's like, and I think I think that's good escalation. You can see, you know, like uncoupling the the train tracks, the weapons, trying to get the. I think that's cool and. You know, you also if you write it in kind of like a low budget sort of type of way, and, and like it is all one location and kind of with you know cool action scenes, like yeah, I, I like it. I think that's good. Bullet Train's a way better title. Yeah, <laughs> <No, laughs> that's okay. Bullet Train is a good title, but it, this isn't so much about assassins. So right, uh, yeah, I, I think I think it works. Okay, yeah, good. Um, last one. Unfortunately, guys, I do need to go. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, no, yeah, fine. yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mr. Dowling, for spending any time. Will you please let anybody know the things you're working on? Any like want to sell something, tell somebody to go watch a yeah. movie or anything at all. Okay. Um, not right now. I'm working on a bunch of stuff I'm excited about, but I don't I don't have anything that's uh in production or coming out soon. But uh yeah, maybe we'll come back and talk about when there is. But but anyway, thanks so much, guys. It was great talking. Absolutely, to you. great to have you. And uh good luck with good luck with those ideas. I like them. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, right on. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, Mr. Timothy Dowling, a great, great guest, great guy. Uh, he has uh, written some really cool stuff. He's acted in some great stuff. Um, let's let's get him out of have the a studio. Good night. Yeah, Thanks. you too. Yeah, have have a great night. We appreciate you so much. Uh, okay, Dylan. So you, yeah, uh, you won again. Battle train. Oh. <laughs> Battle uh, train. <laughs> bullet train is so much better. Yeah, that's a better train. concept too. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that the, assa- okay. the assassins getting overworked. Uh, I think that's that, it's been done. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you look back at like the big hit, and then what was that one big one in like the mid two thousands? Um, Smoking Aces. Smoking Aces. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and then the John Wick. Like, they're going to get the- compared to John Wick. Yeah. Exactly. And you really can't mess with that anymore. So yeah. I, I really like the idea of uh, just just randos on there. So that that's yeah. cool. Uh, but also, also, dude, Timothy Dowling. What a great interview. That's a good interview. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I, 
you know, I thought Jeff Dwoskin dropped a lot of names, but uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but this guy actually does the real stuff. That's so, so great, man. Uh, wow. I'm just, I'm, I'm really impressed. Uh, really good job, Dylan. You're doing such a good show, man, that we're getting really great guests on here. Okay. So before we get started in battle training, we obviously got to say some thanks to yeah. some people. Uh, number one, first and foremost, Pod TV. Thank you very much for having us on here. Thank you for giving us a platform. Thank you for giving us a uh, volume to <laughs> have our voices at, at whatever volume people choose to put it at uh i really appreciate my friend dylan i like making weird cool content and uh you guys give us that opportunity so thank you thank you thank you other people that we just have to thank uh scott curtis behind the bits if you like podcasts and you like interviews scott curtis has probably the best one because he's an award winner so that's great uh another award-winning podcaster is jeff dwaskin so always go check out uh crossing the streams where you get to hear my voice and my little segment netflix metrics um but Sarah Takachik, Tanya Sheck, and listener app on Instagram at the greatest podcast app. We really, really appreciate you guys. You really are working uh, to let us do the things that we want to do, and you're helping us make our dreams come true. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you want to be one of those people that helps us out and, and we get to say your name constantly, please go to patreon.com backslash some nobodies and uh, help out. Like I said earlier in the beginning of the show, we have a movie coming out soon. Uh, got a bunch of new shows coming out. We got the real boys now. Uh, create your own pod venture we have a new thing called uh no time to binge a whole bunch of stuff going on so please check out everything you can see all that at some nobodies.com okay dylan yeah zach battle train battle train okay so okay. uh this seems like a probably a standalone film that's going to have a bunch of spinoffs for some reason yeah now <laughs> Now, the one thing I really, I, I wish that I would have wrapped up my interview a little bit faster so I can get into like story writing with Timothy Dowling, but uh, dude, he's got some pretty amazing credits. Anyway, wow. okay. So when, when starting something as vague as a set piece, yeah, and like Timothy said, sometimes the best ideas are just set pieces. Uh, where do you think we should go with that? So for this, which is effectively a long set piece, I, I mean... You can, we can have flashback sequences to whatever they were doing before they got abducted onto the battle train. But um, I'm seeing that initial confusion, you know, where, where it's like you get that on the announcement. It's like, we'll be the doors to your train will unlock in 10 minutes. And then it counts down those 10 minutes and then it unlocks and someone slides the door open behind them or something. All right. Question. Is yeah. this the kind of thing where people are asleep and they wake up on a train or do they buy their way onto the train? Either or. What if there was a mix where some of where some of the last? I got it. The carts well, that are, or go for it. Well, we what don't want to be do? we don't want to be too much Running Man. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. like, if it is like half prisoners, half thing, just to get your life better. Uh, I I I don't know what you were going to say. <laughs> um, but I mean, if we I guess we can keep that running same thing. man on a train is a pretty good concept, but. Uh... <laughs> All right. Anyway, <laughs> okay. Who, okay, let's another yeah. question. Sure. Who owns the train? Uh, shadowy cabal of businessmen criminals. Okay. I, I mean, if we don't necessarily need to go into it that heavy, I don't think if we make the main character, <coughs> the window character, then we don't necessarily have to give them all the information. We can leave some of it vague. 
No, that's true. But you always have to understand the universe that you're living in. Like, let's just say that it's a Hunger Games scenario. Sure. Everyone okay. in the world knows Hunger Games. So when that train is going to go by people's houses, do they know it's Battle Train? Is it like the thing where people are like, ah, Battle Train, and they like to throw their own weapons at the at the uh, ro- you know crossroads just to be on TV or something? Or is it is it is it revenge? Is it entertainment? Or is it um, Saul like they're just doing bad to people? Privatized justice in a cyberpunk dystopia. There are a whole bunch, whole bunch of private justice systems, and some people, if they break the law, their their criminal debt gets sold to the battle train company. Okay, so everybody cool. on the train's a criminal, or right, so, at least has been charged with a crime. Yeah. Uh, all right. Cool. So now they know they're getting on battle train. I don't think so. Okay, I think they, they. I think they get charged with a crime. And then they're like, you know, you will be remanded to the, your, your sentencing will be uh, dispensed to the highest bidder or something. So there are these like justice parks that bid on prisoners. Yeah. What if there's like, uh, like a print, like a reverse lottery where one person out of everyone who gets arrested every day or something like that has to go on battle train? Well, I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't, no, it doesn't I, like, I like the idea that prisoners don't know that they're going to wake up on it, but they wake up in like a train car and they're, and mm. some of them are just like, Oh God. And they reach under their chair immediately to grab whatever's under there. And some people are like, wait, where am I? Yeah. And then cool. you have the window characters and you have the experienced characters who can lead them across. Yeah. All right. So we have uh, the setting, which is criminals that are on a train. They don't know they're on it here. So they kind of wake up by the announcement. Uh, The doors will open in 10 minutes. The rules that you need to know are every blah, blah, blah minutes. The last train gets every hour, every hour, the last car on the train. And maybe it's like a, like a 12 train or 24 car train. So that way every hour it's a 23 train one. So at the last hour, everybody's on the engine. I think that they all should start in the back train. Because like, what, what, if you're criminals, why would some people have head starts or advantages? That, that, like, is it like first class battle train? Severity, severity of the crime. Oh, the worst the crime. The, the worst okay, of them get in the back. All right, I like that now. That's cool. Um, yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to say that since privatized prisons are overstocked with human beings, uh, some prisons have decided to run this thing, <laughs> which this is, is a... so stupid. I love it. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, I'm in. I actually I actually kind of like this a lot. Um, it is partially owned by CVS <laughs> and partially owned by, uh, by uh, uh, Paravision. Criminal um, vigilante systems or something. CVS yeah. becomes a private justice. Um, how long is the train? How many cars, including the engine? I'm I'm going to say the engine uh, is uh, obviously by itself. It has the money in. Well, let's say there's the engine and then there's like the money room. At right? this point, you don't even need money. It's just whoever holds the train gets their sentences like shortened. Well, okay, so what happens if you're in the train and it detaches? Uh, just, like, it explodes and you die. Oh, so it's going to just blow up. Yes, it detaches okay. and then after like a 15-second interval, once it's once it's far enough away from the main train, it blows up. All right. Now, the incentive for the prisoners is to not die. Yes. Now, there's no more money. We could have money on there, but we have a we could do it where you just get your sentence just eliminated if you get to the front. 
it does seem odd that in in the series of movies where the more violent you are, the less prison sentence you get. Sure. <laughs> but hey, who cares? This is a movie set in the eighties, so we're if all about you, it. Your sentence isn't revoked, but you're put in priority placement for the second battle train, which has a money prize, and then you are released. I don't okay. know. That might be a little much. That might be yeah. a little convoluted. I like the idea that they are either just immediately like, you're put in minimum security and your sentence is halved, or cool. you're releasing given cash. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. Okay. So let's say that there are uh, 10, 10 to 12 trains, 10 to 12 cars. So if it's every hour, we could either make this a half day or full day event by making it 11 cars or 23 cars. Oh, okay. Let's do 11 cars. Okay. That sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, 11 car battle train. So depending on the severity of the crimes, that's uh, how far back you get on this train. Mm -hmm. Now, everyone wakes up at the same time and they're told the rules. Yeah. What are the established rules? The established rules are that anyone holding the engine at the end of the 12 hours gets their sentence shortened or eliminated. Whatever. They get a prize. Which, yeah. yeah. Um, anybody. Anybody. Could, so, they all, could they all work together? They could. Is that the story we're about to tell? We could, but I don't think there are probably going to be enough cooperative people on this train. Yeah, that's true. Okay, cool. Maybe this is like a once. Maybe this is like a like a twice a year event where they kind of save prisoners up and then just cram the train with as many people as possible. So maybe this is like this is death penalty. Yeah. So you're death penalty, and if you make it to the end, you get life in prison plus some money. Yeah. And a pen, and a pen pal. Yeah. Whatever. Um, okay. So what kind of weapons are on battle train? I figured no guns. Yeah. I figured no guns. So it's stuff like uh, maces, axes, hammers. Um, I don't know if we want to have like grades of train car weaponry where it's like every train car is a different theme or if it's really just random. Mm. I like it being random and yeah. also like they and also themed. I think that's kind of cool um, because that way maybe you don't know where you are in the train. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, you go. You could try and get out, but look out the window. But you know, yeah, that's true. Um, okay, so we have different trains that have different. Is there different weapons per train, or each train kind of has a, just an assortment of weapons? Here, each train has an assortment. All right, yeah. cool. So, and range, you know, you get brass knuckles if you're unlucky, and then you, some guy next door gets like a katana or something like that. Yeah, so the further back you are, the smaller and more blunt weapons you have. Um, yeah. And then the closer you are to the front, then you have like katanas and machetes and stuff. I think that's sure. I think I, and yeah, then I you think have to fight your way up. Yeah, because if you're in the front car, you can get into the engine pretty quickly, but then mm -hmm. you just gotta wait for the back car to come find you. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty cool. All right, cool. Um, all right, so who is our window character? What crime did they commit? I like the idea that they're either framed. Mm -hmm. Like they get they get something stuck on them, or they were committing a crime in pursuit of a noble cause. I think the medical debt thing is might be a little overplayed, but it's something we can go back on if we need to. Um, they could be taking the fall for someone. I think in, I think in I think this story calls for a noble protagonist trying to overcome this. So what about someone who 
like say that they were in charge of like the secret service, right? Say they were like a big deal in something and uh they were casting I, Frank Grillo. Like I think I think I actually, already building the character for Frank Grillo. Yeah, I was well, I was gonna say, what if like it's like the president's bodyguard or like a senator or something, and uh this bodyguard catches him like raping somebody or doing something very, very bad, and he yeah. defends the person but commits a very bad crime, and they go, Yo, you killed the president, bro. And it's like, hey, I don't think they even need to commit it. I think they report it and the politician just buries it and is like, No, nah, you're responsible for whatever, so they get it pinned on them. Yeah, cool. So Frank Grillo now has to go to battle train for high treason. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by accidentally, on purpose, uh, maybe taking out the president. Um, so okay. I'm just looking this up. Subways have a capacity of 100 passengers per vehicle, and they have 10 vehicles per train. Subways? Yeah. We're not putting. We're not putting 100 people. We're not. We're no. Um, capacity wise, like I say, I say 20, 20 people a car. Per car, yeah. That's that comes yeah. up to about two hundred people. That's plenty to cut through. I think that's yeah. plenty of people that can uh get dis- dispersed yeah. in, in many different ways. Yeah. Um so all right, so we have Frank Grillo, and he obviously is a good guy, and he wants to have a shorter sentence slash just get off the train. Yeah. Um like, I'm not supposed to be here, and the guy next to him is like, <laughs> None of us are supposed to be here, brother. Yeah, get, get your sword or something like that. And he gets yeah. put at the back of the train because he's he got the political weight on him. Yeah. And all that's back there are like pencils and brass knuckles. And that's it. Uh blackjack, so it's like a sock with a 10-pound weight in it. Yeah, yeah. Um just some rocks. Yeah, just yeah. Rocks. yeah, just some rocks. <laughs> just some rocks. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh okay, and then yeah. uh yeah, he wakes up and all this happens. Yeah. Uh so we how long until we, every hour the last car drops off right yes so uh, do all the doors open automatically that might be too long i think that's I a think, long time for this to go on you know yeah. what i mean 12 yeah, hours nobody's gonna well you might watch a battle royale for 12 hours but i don't think people are gonna last that long yeah that's true so we have to do some kind of timing system where they can only go up to like like the doors are open for so long, or they can only yeah. go up to one car yeah. or something like that. Um, well, I think I think the doors. The, there's like a vestibule, right? There's a vestibule, yeah. so you can get into it. Then the next door opens yeah, at the time. There's like a the transition then, area between cars. Yeah, that way the door locks behind them, so people yeah. can't get through too many cars at once. Yeah. Um, okay, so who is in the first car? I don't know if we need to figure out exactly these yet. Okay, I want so, to figure out set pieces. Well, what I'm going to say is eventually Frank Grillo is going to get to the front of the car. Yeah. Okay. He's got yeah. to find somebody there. And then he has to figure out what to do at the end. So I'm trying to like work out because obviously okay. the middle yeah. the middle is battle, battle, battle. That's not that big of a deal. We can figure that out. What is the ending of this? Because best case scenario, he wins and by killing a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And he either gets a shortened sentence or uh, whatever. So maybe... At the very last end, he lets the bad guys get into the engine train. He hops on the very last train and then, like, disassemble, dismembers the bomb? No. Uh, I like him getting away completely. Yeah. Because well, I know people think he died. If if we could have that thing where it's, like, partway through, he meets up with someone who got charged with, like, sedition, and it's like, 
I'm working with a group that's trying to bring down this whole system. And then they, he manages to get off the train and join up with like the rebels at the end. Mm -hmm. And maybe they crash the entire train. Like he lets the bad guys have the engine, but then somehow they've, they've like, um, they've ne not negotiated. They've arranged for the train to get derailed or something at a certain point. Oh. And so he's like, you can have it. And then he paraglides off. the. However, he gets off the train somehow. I'm, at some point, so you love a good paraglide. Well, you know, um, wingsuits are cool. They're they're the new they're the new cool thing for movies to do. Um, yeah, no, I think I don't think he wins, but I think he gets away. Yeah, I, I get that. Uh, I also like the idea that they are going to stop the train this time. So this is the last time that this train is actually going, and nobody knows about it. Yeah. So all right, I, I'm cool with that too. What else? Uh, what else do you want to throw into this thing? So I'm seeing a few different set pieces and scenes in my head. Okay. They are somehow circumventing a like a blockaded train car by going on top of the train. You have okay. you gotta have that scene where they're on top and like the wind's whipping them back and stuff, and you got that weird just kind of momentum to all of their stuff. Yeah. Um and I'm somehow seeing at some point they're fighting someone who snuck a gun on. Like somehow someone did manage to sneak a gun on just as like a, uh, just a out of left field moment. Okay. Um, what, what, what good is the gun? Distance. If it's something like a shotgun, there's not a whole lot of places on the train car. You can hide from that. So yeah. having a shotgun, at least like that he, I'm like, they opened the door or something and, one of the buddies he's made, you know, one of the bad people who's helping him out gets blown away. And they're all like, they got a shotgun on here. And the guy's just standing there in the doorway waiting for the train car to decouple. And so they have to figure out how to get past this dude. Oh, okay. That's Something cool. like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm into that. That's cool. Um, so now Frank Gorilla is going to have to get all the way up to the front car up against the shotgun. Yeah. Yeah. Right, well, I'm cool I mean, with that. that's that's one of the obstacles they have to overcome. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm cool with that. Yeah. Now, what do you think? Like, how, how do you think this thing should end? He gets away. He gets away. I like the idea that they destroy this iteration of Battle Train, and then we have that moment where it's like you see the audiences in Neo York or whatever in the future it's called reacting to the fact that battle train got destroyed yeah. and so you see that people are starting to kind of turn against the idea of privatized justice and then you get the shady boardroom where it's like sir train you know train line line the blue line has been derailed and it's like hmm how many how long are we going to be offline it's like we can have a new model up and running in six months it's like ah we're going to lose so much money but we're still going to continue the system like you get the moment, you get the idea that they kind of set back these bad guys without completely dismantling it. Yeah. But there's the hint for next time that people might not go along with it. Yeah. I wonder if some cool cabal would uh, maybe think to find the people that are in the front of the train and say, like, hey, these are my new bad guys. These are the toughest of the tough. Oh, yeah. The, the people who wind up winning Battle Train are hired on as private security. Yeah. Or, or like that's like why this this iteration of Battle Train is going down because it's a bad guy. It's like, hey, we're gonna actually gonna stop the Battle Train, take everyone who's winning, and just hire them. Yeah. <laughs> so they just stop the Battle Train. Um, 
Now, I feel like it's not a satisfactory ending, though. No? Okay. Um, do we have that moment where Frank, where it's like, you know, they derailed Battle Train, and then Frank Grillo and all his rebel friends are, like, in the boardroom as the door shuts? I, I almost wish that there was a reversal. Like, if, say, somehow Frank Grillo made his own Battle Train and put shady politicians on it. And that's like the stinger for the next one. Uh, but I don't know how any of that would work. What um what if it's not battle train, but what if like the politician wakes up in like the back of a truck and it's like, you know, Frank Grill is driving and he goes or driving or he's um projecting he's broadcasting his face on the monitor in the back of the truck and he's like, It's no train, but you know, I'm not quite so flashy as you guys. And then it broadcasts from the front of the truck, and he's about to like drive it off the Grand Canyon or something, like yeah, remotely. Cool. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm cool with that. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm wondering about Frank Grillo's character. Like, what, what do we need to like learn or go into with this main character to give it a acceptable story? I mean, it's Frank Grillo. What, what? what more do we need for a movie called battle train? Okay. <laughs> this so isn't that, a very deep concept, I suppose. No, <laughs> no, no I, I hear you. I'm just still trying to make it an entertaining movie that isn't sure. just dudes killing dudes. Like what, yeah, whatever, uh, you know, so like there's gotta be a plot and there's probably gotta be like a B plot in there. What um, if he has, what if he has some contact on the outside where it's like, he doesn't have a family, but he's got someone that he's close to that. This would help that he's trying to help them out somehow. Um, I don't know what that would be. Maybe the money could be another MacGuffin. Um, yeah, I feel like there has to be a way that people either get onto this thing or also can opt to get onto it. Because if you do that, then there can be an actual prize. Um, I just yeah. don't. Yeah. Uh, what, if, I, what if there's someone he meets in his starting car who's like some rando who is like, I opted into this thing because my so-and-so... I'm pay they're on death. Like they got death road. They got put on just the execution line and I need to pay. I need to pay off their bail. And this was the only way I could try and get the money. Wait, what if this is a new kind of gambling? Say that there's like 20 people per car, right? Mm -hmm. 10 people are mercenaries. 10 people are high profile money makers. You pay per train that you get into. So the closer to the front, you have to pay higher. The total amount that gets taken is what is in the front of the train from everybody. So if you pay like, say, $1,000, you get in the very back of the train, but you can win $20 million. There's also guys that are on there for free that are trying to make this money and kill people. We're, we're straying a little closer to the assassins idea by doing that. Because if, if you pay to get onto the battle train, you're looking to kill people. So you're, you you're looking, you're looking to make money, I guess. But yeah, okay, that's, that's fair. People. That's fair. I, I, I like the idea that you can buy in, but I think yeah. the rest of the train is filled in with convicts. And what if it's only first class? Like, what if it's only white collar people? <laughs> there might be something there. It's a white collar fight club train. Right, I think anyway. there's. I think no. I think there's something there. I think that just needs to be distilled a little bit. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, all right, so we have Frank Grillo. Who are some other people you want to see in this? Like, uh, what what are some other people that are on this train? Um, shoot, I'm gonna look up her name real quick. I'm seeing the corporate guy is like, I don't know, Michael Ironside still acting? Sure. 
He's still acting. Yeah. Yeah. He'll, he'll, hey, he'll do a cameo if we just shoot him in a boardroom for like an afternoon and he never leaves it. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing the woman from I Am Legend and Elysium, uh, Alice Braga, as like maybe his sympathetic contact out in the outer world. Mm. Um, she was in City of God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I feel the thing that's going to make this train the best is the rules. Okay. I think more rules would make this great. Okay. What kind yeah. of rules are you thinking? I don't know yet. I think people should work on the train that, you know, don't, you can't mess with. Um, I just feel that there should be more rules. Hmm. I don't know though. Could, Honestly, I don't know. Could we could do a sponsor thing like in hunger games where you can have an item delivered to the train and it's like, if you're delivering to a specific person, you have to guess what train car they're on. So there might be just random deliveries or something like that. And it's like, oh, I was hoping to get it to that guy instead. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, whatever. We'll figure this out. Yeah, We'll figure um, it out. This is yeah. a hard one. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Uh, all right. Anyway, that's our time folks. We have uh, essentially put together what turned into uh, a weird battle royale, maybe for money, maybe for freedom, maybe just for the fact that we want to work with Frank Grillo, but either way, Thanks, thanks so much for hanging out and making Battle Train with us. Uh, it has been a weird but another great project for some nobodies to work on. Uh, you can always find that and everything else that we do on somenobodies.com. Um, and if you really want to be our friend and help us make more and more things, including a movie or a board game or a theme park based on the Blade Runner universe, then head over to patreon.com backslash somenobodies. Uh, some people that we not only need to thank, but also really want to thank. Like I said earlier, Mick Manhattan with Scene Snobs. Awesome, awesome dude. Uh, Jeff Dwoskin at uh, Crossing the Streams and live from Detroit. Jeff Dwoskin, great guy. Uh, Scott Curtis from Behind the Bits. Please check out this podcast. Behind the Bits is awesome. He interviews amazing comedians and then also kind of like understands where they came from and making the jokes. It's a really cool podcast. Tanya Sheck, Sarah Takashik, always, always, always super fan. We love you so much. Thank you. Uh, and also uh, listener app at the greatest podcast app. We appreciate you. They have this cool thing where if you don't want to listen uh, all the time, you just want to maybe read the words They actually transcribe it up there. So you get to say or read what I'm actually slurring. So you, in case you can't hear, really always hear it, whatever. Uh, we have a lot of our things going on. Like I said, movie, podcast, TV shows, a lot of random stuff. Uh, if you want to see how we take a very weird story and then develop it even further, what we do on Tuesdays is a live stream on Twitch and our YouTube channel and Facebook as well. Uh, but we take a, an idea that we created on this show and then break it down over a couple episodes and make better characters, make better scenes, put some dialogue into it with your help. So please check us out anywhere. Like and subscribe. Do all that cool stuff. I have been Zach. He has been Dylan. And you've been great. Goodbye. Take it easy out there, everybody.